Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matthew's older brother. I'm also his older writer, and (laughs) I will be the older person asking the questions. With me is Matt. Hello, everybody. So today we're going to be talking about his most recent episode on his channel, which was exploring if Tesla's solar roof is about to go mainstream. This is from December 29th, 2020. That means, yes, we have burst through into 2021. We did it. We're in the future. (laughs) Skynet is in the past. Yes. (laughs) The replicants have been taken care of. So only green is made out of people. And we are all pod people. So good times all around. I'm hoping all of our listeners had a happy and healthy entry into 2021. And let's keep doing what we have to in order to stay safe and get to that vaccine. Yes, (laughs) please. Yes. (laughs) I'm not yet banging a tin cup against the bars. I'm understanding of the need for patience. To be honest, part of me is more anxious for those people who need it more desperately than I do. Yeah, I'm in the same camp. It's like I want it badly for myself, but man, it's I, there's so many people that need it more than I do. Yeah, I'm looking at the people with compromised immune systems. I'm looking at nursing home patients. I'm looking at, to be honest, teachers, students. Our parents. Our parents. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm, and and I feel like you may be in the same mindset as I am, which is I can continue to live in strange times for a little bit longer if other people can get back to normal a little bit faster. And that's particularly true, I think, for me, for younger people, for students and for teachers. I'm living through, you know, with my son, the experience of what it's like for for students to be, be doing remote schooling and it's not easy. So there's a big part of me that is hopeful for them that we can turn a corner and I'm not holding out hope that we'll return to normal during this school year, but that the fall will include a return to actual in-person schooling. But meanwhile, the sun keeps shining. <laughs> That's right. And our roofs keep making electricity. That was one hell of a transition, John. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm impressed. Seamless. This is why yes. when people ask Matthew, mm-hmm. Matthew, why did you pick your brother? To be, because he's a professional, your co-host <laughs> on a podcast. Matthew says, "Seamless transitions." <laughs> Speaking That's of right. zoology, <laughs> well, we haven't finished talking about solar roofs. I'm sorry, I jumped the gun there. Yep, solar roofs, mainstream starting point. As usual, when you do these interview shows. I'm wondering, how did you touch base with Weddle and Sons, right? Yep. I assume that Eric Weddle might be one of the sons. He looked like if it's (laughs) him and his kids, I'm thinking, (laughs) well, he looked like his kids might be 12. So I don't imagine he's sending 12-year-olds up there. Is he one of the sons or is he the founder? He's he's the founder. He actually told me the funny story. I didn't put it in the video. He told me the funny story of it's Weddle and Sons, Mm -hmm. even though their parents had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And he said he and his brothers, when they started the company, they were so young that they, you know, they didn't think, you know, going out there is just like the Weddle brothers, like these 20 year old kids was going to really get 
people so Weddell and Sons them. made people think that there was an adult somewhere in the background. Yes. That's pretty. Yes. That's, yeah. That's so they called it Weddell and Sons just so that they could sound like they've been around for generations and that they had their parents there as like the elder statesmen to help give them some credibility. So I thought that was really, really funny. That's very but funny. But they've been in business for decades. So they've been around for a long time now. It sets up the idea as well that uh, there could have been some fake phone calls in front of clients. Like, well, let me check with my dad. Just a second. Yeah, dad. Yeah, they want to put the rain gutters. Oh, I shouldn't do that? Okay. Oh, yeah. Six inch nails? Right. Got it. So my dad said I should put it on this part instead with six inch nails. So that sound okay yeah. to you? Oh, they want to talk to you. They want to talk to you, dad. Oh, you got it. You're going into a tunnel? Okay. 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 I'm sorry. I lost connection. I was going to say, the, the way I got in touch with them was they had been posting videos on YouTube of time lapses of them installing the solar roof and these awesome drone shots of them installing the solar roof. And somebody on Twitter that follows me tweeted at me saying, hey, you should check these guys out. And that's how I found them. And then I reached out to them on Twitter and to the guy that actually took the videos. Um, His name was Matt. And Matt put me in touch with Eric. And so he and I, over the course of a couple months, had some emails and a couple of phone calls and we ended up doing the full interview. Um, that's how we got in touch with each other. Right. And they're located in Colorado, right? Yeah, they're in the Nebraska, Colorado area. And you mentioned in the video at one point the number of people on their wait list. They have like 200 people waiting for uh, an opportunity to hire them for putting in solar roof. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned without going into detail their area that they work in approximately how big an area would they cover they cover i think it's three states wow um yeah they're basically the midwest um they like uh, eric himself is in charge of the kind of colorado area um i think they've kind of divvied it up between the brothers what states and regions they cover but the company Mm -hmm. as a whole covers i think it's three states and uh they clearly have a very large clientele and they're clearly a very a successful company. And he, he said of themselves that they're constantly trying to push themselves to get better and better and better and do new things and be the mm-hmm. kind of leader in the industry and to make quality their number one thing. And he said, it's a kind of a blessing and a curse because he said their biggest competitors have the same exact competitive drive. So he said, our competitors are also extremely good. And so we're all trying to constantly one up each other. And so he said it's actually a really good kind of healthy competitive environment in that area of the country. So it's it's pretty cool. They clearly seem like a very innovative, they like to be on the cutting, cutting edge of technology kind of company. The fact that they would jump into this <laughs> the way they did speaks a lot. And what sort of training did they have to go through? Is it on site with Tesla yeah. in California? Did they have to go? Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah, he walked through. He walked through that. He said it was like a two week kind of thing where they basically went through a class, like they were in a classroom, mm-hmm. going through the installation manuals and being taught like how it's done and showing diagrams of how they work and how it comes together. And then after a few days of that, they went into a warehouse where they basically on these fake structures with the teachers went through and like doing faux installs. And then after that, they went out to actual fake houses that had been built to train installers and they actually just then did it themselves on this fake house um to see how long it would take them and if they ran into problems stuff like that so that, that it was 
pretty, it sounded like a pretty intensive training they went through with the, the Tesla, uh, engineers and installers. One of the commenters said that they recently had a new roof put on, but they are looking the lifetime of their asphalt roof being 10 to 15 years. Their next step would be to get this kind of roof. And it mm-hmm. made me wonder what will that roof look like in 10 to 15 years? way Tesla works is they don't like work in models, like model years or anything like that. They work right. and they make changes and innovations when they're ready to be done. And right. so it's kind of a rolling thing. And so there is no kind of schedule. They, they announced the Tesla solar roof. I can't remember any number of years ago. And then there was a few years of like really not much said about it. And they came out and said, okay, we've changed the product. And it was the reason they changed the product was because they had learned how difficult it was to install. And they were trying to find ways to streamline that and to make the product better. So it's like when they reannounced the new version of it, it was not a, this is model year two. It was more of a, we're driving the costs down of how to install this because we've simplified the roof. Um, so I don't think what you're seeing today is going to change dramatically. I think you'll see minor tweaks along the way mm. as they f- sand off the rough edges to help installers. Instead of taking two days to install, they can do it in one day. It's like they're going to find ways to help streamline that, to drive costs down, to make the solar roof not $80,000 to install, but $60,000 or $50,000. Because Elon's ultimate goal is to make the product basically on par with pretty much any roof you'd put on your house. So <laughs> it's, right. it's like, he just wants to make it so that it's like, you're going to get a new roof. It'd be a no brainer to get this because this is going to cost the same amount of money as your other roof, but this also produces electricity. That's where he ultimately wants to get. Um, the only thing you'd probably see in the coming like three years, five years, 10 years is the different styles. Because like right now, it's just kind of this black slate looking glass roof mm-hmm. where there's going to at some point be probably some kind of terracotta looking, you know, the those bowed, you know, ceramic tiles. There might right. be one that looks like stone. So it's like they they have plans to make other looks and colors and textures. Um, th- th- that's pretty much what you're going to see in the coming years. I don't think the t- underlying technology is going to change tremendously, but the aesthetics, there'll be more choices for you to choose from. The modularity of the system seems <laughs> to be making installation literally a snap. And yeah, I see yeah, you did that. I, I wasn't trying to go there, but I ended up there. <laughs> a question asked by Alex Bryant in your comments. He wrote, so what's the average saving on electricity bills per year given a fresh installation with no pre-existing solar panels? So that would be the final sort of enticement from my perspective. If you're getting a high quality roof, even if it wasn't a solar panel, it's tough as nails, it's mm-hmm. easily repaired, it's potentially mm-hmm. better for the building itself as far as installation and upkeep. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it generates electricity. So then the question yeah. becomes, how much electricity does it generate? I saw that question a few times in the comments. And it's one of those, I can't answer that because it really depends on, it's the same thing with if you're getting regular solar panels. I can't tell you how much electricity you're going to generate because your house is unique. And so it's right. like where you live, the orientation of your house, the slope of your roof, do you have shade? Are there trees, you know, blocking some of the sunlight? It's like, there's no way to tell you how much you're going to generate, but you basically size the solar roof because there's dummy panels and there's solar tiles. So it looks uniform no matter what you're doing. Right. But because these solar tiles, yes, they produce, they're not quite as efficient, um, energy wise as a panel, 
but you can put them, since they're so much smaller, you can put more of them across your entire roof to make up for that difference. So what you need to do is like, if you use on average, you know, X kilowatts per month, you would be sizing your system appropriately for how much energy you use. That's how you do any kind of solar system. So it doesn't really matter what the efficiency is. It's like, okay, well, you need a six kilowatt or a nine kilowatt solar system, solar panel system. So we'll put nine kilowatts of, of these panels on there and the rest will be dummies. Or we only have to do six and the rest will be dummies. So it's, you size it appropriately. Right. So it's like, if, if you live in an area that gets enough solar exposure over the course of the year, you should be able to cover 100% of your yearly energy use with the system. So it's not like it's less, it's not like you're making a trade-off of if I went solar panels, I could get more power. It's like, no, you should be able to get the same amount of power out of this thing. You just might take more tiles to do it, but you can do it. So it's, it's kind of a difficult question to answer. Mm -hmm. But in the end, <laughs> if you live in an area where you could get 100% of your energy use from panels, you should be able to get 100% of your energy use the solar roof as well. That's in conjunction with something like a power wall, or is that is that just an additional uh, power wall? Additional, it, it, and it's a separate measurement as far as like whether or not that would be something that would be beneficial to you as an individual consumer. Correct. It's like. If you live in an area that has full net metering and no incentives for battery storage, getting a battery today is really tough to justify. It really is because they're still so expensive. So you wouldn't why see not just any benefits that? from it. There would be no if yeah. you have net metering. Yeah. If you don't have if you don't have full net metering, where it means like you're not getting a full exchange, like for one kilowatt in, it's like getting a one kilowatt knocked off your price. Maybe it's half that or a third that. That's when a uh, power wall can start to pay for itself. So it's, once again, it's a very individual, you have to look at your situation, what you're paying, what incentives there are, what kind of net metering you have to determine if a battery makes sense. That's where, again, a reputation comes into play. You know, we talked about Weddell and Sons and the idea of leaders in the field mm -hmm. and knowledge of what's going on. I've, I've seen a number of ads on YouTube. And I think it's probably because, honestly, because of your channel, the algorithm is probably <laughs> yes. throwing certain ads toward me. And there's one that I, every time I see it, I think, I think these guys are just coming across as Use car uh, salesman. scam art scam artists where it's these, <laughs> it's this guy saying like, you know, these solar panels will save you money. They, you can be paid, you will be paid for your electricity that you generate. And the entire ad is nothing but them showing Tesla batteries being installed, the power walls being installed. Mm -hmm. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, they keep saying solar panel, but they're showing a battery. Yeah. They're not showing a panel. And it, it just starts to look like if they're, misrepresenting that what else are they misrepresenting and of course it's a youtube ad and it is not picking up the nuance that you're talking about like what if you're in an area where you don't get the right kind of metering and that can mm -hmm. vary from city to city region to region state to state so it really i guess my general non-rant rant is consumers really should do their homework and yeah. find a company that really does know what it's doing and can explain these things and do your research as to what's available to you before you make any of these, these moves. Don't just, 
yeah. jump into getting something installed if it's not going to benefit you. And in fact, if it's going to cost you twice as much money without any sort of long-term recuperation on your part. It's part of the reason why I make these videos is because there's so much misinformation out there, misunderstanding. I can't tell you how many comments I get that say, when I have my videos about my solar panels and how much energy I'm using, the comment of, well, yeah, but when, you, when do you have to change it? Your batteries, they only last for a few years. And this was at the point where I didn't have batteries as my solar panel system. Yeah. It was just solar. And it was like, there's so many people that believe that solar panel systems have to have batteries or that solar panel systems have to generate 100% of your use or it's not worth it. It's right. like there's so there's so many variable variables to this. It's it's shades of gray. There's no right. black or white. And anybody that says to you solar panels are a scam and they don't work, or anybody that says solar panels will work for everybody, you need to ignore all of that because right. the truth is somewhere in the middle, and it depends on your scenario. And you have to look at what you need, what you want to get out of it, and what the costs are for your situation. That's the only way to know the answer. So it's like anybody asking, should I get it? It's like I can't tell you. And anybody that tells you, yes, you absolutely should, it's like you need to take that with a grain of salt and do your own number crunching to figure it out for yourself. It's the sad truth, but that's the way it works. Yeah, and, the, and among the criticism, there was some criticism on your on your video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of your commenters made the claim that this will be like everything from Elon. It will underperform, cost taxpayers billions, and be about hype. Taxpayers billions. I don't yeah, know where which, that comes from. Which, yeah, that that was the one <laughs> that made me say, like, wait, wait, government is doing what now? And <laughs> there are, of course, incentives. And one of the things that came up in the comments, there was a lot of conversation around Windows closing on incentives. And a lot of people pointed out that the COVID relief bill that passed yes, just a couple of weeks it. ago actually extended yep. it. Yep. So the federal government's incentives, the, the number that kept getting pushed out on the comments was 26% from yes. the federal government. So there's there are incentives in play. So maybe this critic was was including incentives and subsidies as as part of the taxpayers paying for it. But just for giggles, I, I looked up about some of the incentive programs and and discovered that Tesla had received uh, for it was around four hundred million dollars. Yep. In the initial like panic, you know, let's keep the economy going. Loans that came from the government to keep companies from having to lay people off and shutter. And Tesla received four hundred million dollars, which it paid back nine years early. Yep. Um, and that to date, their total number of uh, subsidies. I can't remember now the exact number. I think it was two billion was the mm -hmm. was the total number of of subsidies. In comparison, Ford mm -hmm. borrowed five point yeah. nine billion yep. under the same loan program that yep. Tesla has paid back. And as of today, Ford has a total of thirty three billion in subsidies awarded. But Sean, uh, you see. That, those are called yeah. facts. Those are called yeah. facts and they don't fit into belief and yeah. truthiness. It's yeah. like, if it feels true, it yeah. must be true. Yeah. See? My favorites though <laughs> were Nissan, which borrowed yes. $1.4 <laughs> and has subsidy values of $1.9 But this one really got to me. Fisker Automotive. Oh man, yeah. Fisker. Borrowed $529 Mm -hmm. Under that program, 
and then went bankrupt. That's so, right. <laughs> so when wrestling with questions about who is actually paying for what, having some information available is always helpful. And when talking about a company that is part of a government incentive program, that doesn't mean the government is just handing no. money to the company. The, that is not what is happening. There are incentives on the consumer side that benefit your purchasing power. And that does benefit the company, but it's done because of long-term goals and attempts to make a very difficult transition from reliance on one type of energy production to another and make that transition a little bit smoother and a little bit faster. And there are benefits to that. So yeah. I, it's, 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 I it's, have a hard it, time accepting <laughs> the idea that, and, and then the other side of the criticism that made me scratch my head, it was like, it will just like everything Tesla underperform. And again, I was left with what underperformance is this person pointing at? I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't You're know talking either. about a car company that is, it's pushing out cars that people like that are very resellable and yeah, they hold value well. They resell value, well. <laughs> resell well. People like them. There's there's been no major recall like other car manufacturers. But facts, Sean. Yeah. They're facts you're talking about. Yeah. It's not truthiness. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of people just look at this stuff in black or white viewpoints and it's not they don't look at it as it's it's like a, it's everything is interrelated. It's like it's not handouts to a company and that's it. It's like those handouts to that company are helping to create jobs for actual working people to earn a living and not go homeless. It's yeah. it's it's providing incentives like you said to transition from one fuel source to another and try to smooth that out as much as you possibly can cuz it's happening. And they're trying to make sure that that happens in a smooth, quick, efficient way. It's it's going to benefit everybody. And the other thing that drives me nuts about that 26% federal tax credit that people always talk about as your neighbors are paying for your solar panels. That's not what a tax credit is. There's not a pool of money that is getting paid out to people that get solar panels installed from the tax credit. It reduces my tax burden, so I pay less taxes into the system. Right. So it's that's what that is. It's it's a, it's a reverse of what you might expect. <laughs> so, right. So getting twenty six percent off what you owe on taxes is not a handout. It's a discount on what you right. owe, and right. it's not taking money out of your neighbor's pockets. And right. that's what it drives me nuts. It's like not all incentives are credit equal. So you can't just say, oh, it's an incentive, which means it's a handout. It's like, it doesn't work that way. There's, yeah. once again, there's nuance to, yeah. to all of this. Do you have a time frame for yourself when something like this might become a possibility for you? Or is this a, oh, my next house might have this? My next house might have this. Yeah. It's not going to be, it's not going to be this house, but if we're most likely going to move at some point or build, and if that happens, that that next place will most likely have a, a solar roof. And now transitioning to zoology. No. Sorry. 
As we usually do at the end of every episode, we are going to talk about some of the pop culture things we're enjoying. And I would like to start off. Matt, you may remember and listeners might remember that I talked about the podcast, You Must Remember This, which mm-hmm. I talked about uh, probably close to six months ago. It feels like it was a, feels like it might've been the summer. Um, the point of the podcast is it's usually 10, 12 episodes of Hollywood history that you're not aware of. And this most recent season, season two, investigated the life and work of Polly Platt, who was a woman to make the long story short. If she was a man, she would be recognized as one of the key players in Hollywood. She would be talked about in the way that Steven Spielberg is, but because she was a woman, she was from a generation that their entry into Hollywood was usually in the wake of a man and they they were expected to stay there. Mm-hmm. And her husband was Peter Bogdanovich and she was critically involved in all of his major movies. Their marriage broke up, their partnership broke up. After their partnership broke up, his production as a director went into steep decline. She continued to have a role in major films for the rest of her professional career, which lasted until the early 90s. As we finished the podcast, my girlfriend made a suggestion, which I thought was a great one. We've been looking for some kind of thematic way of of helping us pick movies to watch on Friday nights. And she said, what if we watched the Polly Platt filmography? So we decided we would go back and starting with the first film that she worked on with Peter Bogdanovich, we would start there and we will follow her films and it's going to be a, a list of, of great movies. But the starting point this past Friday was a movie I had never even heard of. And it was her and Peter Bogdanovich's first film. And it was made in 1968 and it's called targets. Hmm. And it is a Roger Corman picture. Bogdanovich had worked with Corman previously on another film. And of course, Corman being Corman, these were fast productions, cheaply done. You hit your mark, you do your take, you move on, you keep moving forward. It is a film that the budget estimated was around $130,000. And so we went into this movie. All I knew about it was this. It's called Targets. It had something to do with a sniper and it starred among other actors boris karloff i'm gonna let that sink in (laughs) it is one of boris karloff's final films and it was literally him filling out a contract like fulfilling a contract it was him doing a movie that was just to fulfill contractual obligation we were about 20 minutes into it when i turned to my girlfriend and i said this movie is exceptional and I am so glad we are watching it. It is a movie I strongly recommend. If you are a fan of cinema, if you are a fan of especially 1960s cinema, one of the things that comes out of this is the directorial decisions were clearly inspired by movies like Rear Window. It's 
it's that kind of decision-making behind the camera, still shots, looking through a lens. You're, you're from the viewpoint of a sniper. The story is sadly still relevant because it is about a man who goes on a shooting spree. Hmm. And the movie, when it came out, got a lot of conflicted response where critics liked it, but it came out in 68. So it was following the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. Some places it was actually not allowed to be opened. I think it was New Zealand wouldn't give it the uh, certificate to allow it to allow it to be run in theaters because they said it didn't, it was immoral. It is a unflinching view of the shooter. It does not go into psychological excuses. It simply gives you a man who is depicted as he's a Vietnam vet. He has a father with whom he has been taught how to shoot. He's been trained how to shoot by this man And they are gun aficionados. It doesn't go much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. But by keeping a camera on a man who is slowly deciding how he is going to go about a shooting spree, it is, it's unnerving. Chilling. It sounds chilling. Yeah. It's chilling and it's got a, it doesn't feel like a documentary, but it feels true. Hmm. And the, other storyline in it is the Boris Karloff storyline, which is Boris Karloff is playing an aged actor who has exhausted himself making movies that he doesn't believe in. And he just wants to retire. And he is being forced to do PR work for films that he doesn't care about while a young director is begging him to do one more movie. And that one more movie is a movie that is supposed to be an impactful, non-genre, straightforward piece of acting that he just knows Boris Karloff will be good at. Mm -hmm. That story is probably the story of the making of the movie because Boris Karloff made this movie to fulfill a contract. So in fact, the story within the story may be Peter Bogdanovich trying to convince Karloff, please do this movie. It is not like the genre stuff that you don't want to do. This is a full-blown, straightforward mainstream film that you could really do really well. Mm -hmm. So that story is also compelling in a very different way. And there's a lot of humor in that side. And Boris Karloff is actually very touching in that role. And where the two stories intersect is that this young man who's going to go on the shooting spree decides to go on a shooting spree at a drive-in movie theater where Boris Karloff is going to be in order to do the PR work that he doesn't want to do. Mm. The film is very nuanced. It ha- It is very smart and I think very sophisticated. It demonstrates a young talent that was in Bogdanovich's directing that would, I, again, I, I, kept thinking it's like Hitchcock. It has that mm-hmm. kind of, of unblinking focus and the, the letting of a longer shot to tell a story and where it all starts, where the shooting spree starts is upsetting and unnerving and shot in such a way that you can't look away. 
And for all those reasons and the fact that Polly Platt was the co-writer of the screenplay, she suggested the general plot to Bogdanovich, which included him being in the film. He plays the young director trying to convince Karloff's character <laughs> to do one more movie. And her production design went uncredited in the film, but she was involved as a producer on the film. So for all those reasons, I strongly recommend this movie. I think if you're a cinephile, I think it is one that you are going to enjoy. And if you're like me, you may not have heard of it. And mm -hmm. as we were watching it, I said, this should be better known. This is really a remarkable film. Hmm. So I gave it, I gave it a strong recommendation. Wow. That sounds good. I'm going to put that on my list and I've got a long list. Um, <laughs> for, for me, there's just two things I'm going to bring up. First of all, I'll be quick on, um, this holiday season, I, I worked ahead on my videos so I could take a little time off over the holidays and I went, I like mainlined the game Ghost of Tsushima on the PlayStation 4. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a massive game. So I, I played a lot of it over the course of the, uh, a week uh, to finish it. And it is, it's an exceptional game. Uh, and I hate giving like a, a rating number kind of a thing, but if I was going to give it a number, it'd be like an eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. um, the storyline in that game is just phenomenal. And it's one of the perfect examples of not to always bring up, you know, Ebert's uh, <laughs> video games aren't art. Yeah. <laughs> Playing a game like Ghost of Tsushima, that is an artistic game. It has such an amazing story. It's like playing a Kurosawa film. It is just stunning visually, cinematically. It's so artistic, so well done. Uh, the game mechanics are very fun. The reason I knock it down a couple of pegs, um, for me, like of this last generation of consoles, the, for me, the perfect game, 10 out of 10, is Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a very similar game as the open world, the way the story branches out. It's very, very similar. But I think Horizon Zero Dawn is a far stronger game um, because it not only nails the story, it nails the game mechanics, it keeps you engaged throughout. And Horizon Zero Dawn is one of those few games where... I did every side mission. I did every little thing because all of it was unique and fun and engaging, not just storyline, but gameplay. And where I think Sushima uh, kind of drops the ball is on that game mechanic and the variety. Mm -hmm. um, there, was, there was a period in the game where I was like, okay, if I have to rescue one more kidnapped victim on a road, I'm going to punch somebody. And right. it was just like constantly the same thing over and over and over again. And so by the time you got, I got into the last third of the game, I was like, screw this. I'm going main line down the main storyline just finishing the game because I am done. This is getting boring. And so the main storyline is astonishing. But the side missions became like, oh, if I have to liberate one more farm and rescue these stupid farmers that get kidnapped, it's like, come on. How many times can I do the same thing over and over again? That's where I knock it down a little bit. On top of which, from somebody who's worked in video games, it's like, I... I I may notice things that other people may not give a crap about, but they're like the walking animations of the characters look great until you go walking upstairs or a hill because yeah. <laughs> the walking animation is the same walking animation, no matter what tilt you're walking on or what surface. So if you're walking up a steep staircase, suddenly their feet are going up to their shins into the, into the world. 
Um, mm-hmm. It completely breaks the illusion of this beautiful, I mean, it is an absolutely beautiful game. It's a yeah. work of art. So the animations are so phoned in and just, okay, this is good enough, let's move on. Where you play a game like Horizon Zero Dawn, her, her animation and walk cycles alter depending on the pitch of the ground, what she's walking on. If she's running and she's next to a wall or a cliff wall, she will casually put her hand out and drag it along the edge of the wall like she's balancing herself. There's like little nuances to the animation cycles that make her feel real and it makes her feel rooted in the world and it makes it feel very believable and immersive. Mm-hmm. And Tsushima just phoned in so much of that final polish that it kept taking me out of the game. It's like, God, this is beautiful. And oh my God, his, he's up to his knees in the earth. What is going on? Or bugs where my horse, my magic horse, no matter where you were, <laughs> you yeah. could push a button, he'd whistle and his horse would just appear out of the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I once did that atop a, a precipice and the poor well, so horse, did, the poor horse <laughs> fell off the cliff. So... Well, I, I did it. It's like this ridiculous where you come up to a river and the horse can't cross the river. So I hopped off my horse, swam across, got to the other side, pushed the button, and suddenly my horse is across the river. Yeah. It's like, okay, that kind of defeats the purpose. But there were times where I would do that and the horse would show up in the world like his feet were cemented in place and I would jump on his back and he wouldn't move. I couldn't do anything to make him move. And then I couldn't dismount the horse. So I'd have to quit the game, restart the game, go back mm. in. Or animations being off, like after you complete a mission, it shows the hero shot next to your horse and the horse like nudges you and you pet the horse's face. There was a couple times where the animation was off by like an inch. So mm-hmm. he's he looks like he's doing some kind of aura touching of the horse because uh-huh. his hands are like... <laughs> three inches off the horse's face but it's clearly mapped to the horses it was really weird it's just like little bugs being inside of a house in the winter in the north area and i'm talking to the farmer i just rescued and i don't want to hear every time you rescue somebody they have to say something to you and at a certain point i was like i don't want to hear a single word out of your mouth shut up and this guy's talking to me several sentences i'm like oh the outside weather effect got triggered inside the house and so he was talking to me and there was a tornado of snow whipping around the two of us inside this house and it was like are you storm from the x-men what is going on so it was like there were so many of these like little bugs that just completely destroyed the immersion of the game which is a shame because it was so so good so it's still worth playing but just if you play it just know there's gonna be some rough edges and it it really distracts from where it excels, which is the story and the cinematography of the game. It's just spectacular. The The other thing I wanted to just bring up is on Netflix, there's a Japanese show that I started watching that I give a strong recommend right now. I'm not done with the season, but so far it is, I'm loving it. It's called Alice in Borderland. And I would recommend checking it out. It's It's like a cross between Lost and there's this anime show called Gantz. Um, it's this weird, the basic plot line is uh, people are basically kind of define themselves, they're in Tokyo, but they find themselves like literally like in a moment going from their normal life in Tokyo to literally like turning a corner and they're in an empty Tokyo. And they're in this kind of like alternate reality of Tokyo 
where the people that are there are forced to play these games, <laughs> which is very much like Saw, where you play in these games that <laughs> are life and death and the object is to survive the game. And if you, depending on the difficulty of the game, you earn a visa that gives you X number of days off before the next time you have to play the next game to earn another visa to get more days off. Mm. Um, and it's so trippy and amazing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's for me, it's like lost where it's like lost kept you going along of like, what is this Island? Who, who made this Island? What, what is the purpose of this thing? And like, what is that smoke monster? It's like all these kind of giant like mystery box questions. And this show has that in spades. And it's this nice uh, balance between like where Saw is like just a gruesome horror movie. Cha uh, this is, it's a lot more, um, it's not, it's not graphic. It's, it's just, there are moments where they play the games. It becomes just a straight on horror. Oh my God. I can't believe they have to do that. And are they going to survive? And the show is so good at creating those moments of tension and then having comic relief and then having really dramatic moments and the acting is excellent. It's just a really, really good show so far. And I'm hoping that the show ends the season on a high note and doesn't like peter out like a lot of anime for me typically does. But this is not anime. It's live action. Um, but I would recommend if you watch it, watch the Japanese original Japanese dialogue with the English subtitles because the dubbing is awful and mm -hmm. <laughs> it's much better to hear the actual emotional tone of the actors versus the bad dubbing. So tr I would recommend watching it with subtitles, but it's, it's a really, really interesting uh, plot. It's a really interesting, got interesting characters and interesting character development in the first few episodes. It feels like is every episode just going to be them playing a game and trying to get out of it, the show starts to evolve past that and try to get to the mystery of what is this? What is going on? How do we get out of it? And who's behind it all? So, and I just heard that they um, announced a second season is going to be coming. So I would strongly recommend checking it out. It sounds really interesting. It's, it's really very like cool. The, yeah, the, the tone it has one of the strongest, like it. it has one of the strongest TV openings I've seen in a long time with these three friends that end up in this thing together the sequence of how they end up there and then them exploring the city. I don't know how they filmed this. Seriously. They're in like parts of Tokyo that looks like they really, it doesn't look like it's all computer graphics. It looks like they actually emptied streets of Tokyo to film some of it. And it is astonishing to look at. It's, it's an incredibly well-made show. So our listeners should let us know if they've watched that or if they've played the ghost of Tsushima and also let us know if you've seen the movie Targets and if you've seen some of these lost gems that I'm super excited to be finding thanks to uh, podcasts like You Must Remember This. You can reach out to us through the contact info in the podcast description. Please do subscribe. By now, you know how to subscribe to a podcast. You know how to find podcasts. <laughs> you've got podcast apps you enjoy. Go to those apps, look for this podcast, find it, and then subscribe to it. Be sure to give us a rating, review, and share us with your friends. Doing those things really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew and I have our first episode of the year 2021. Happy New Year, everybody. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.